everyone, and this is episode 14 of Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson, and this is season two, by the way, um, so just so you know, and then, so we've been pretty much going along in our daily reading, and it, and it's getting interesting by, by the minute, and, and now we're going to kind of go into some deeper things, uh, that we haven't talked about in the Old Testament. And so, and I just hope you're, you're doing good when this time was being recorded, you know, we've been dealing with coronavirus. I really hope that you're doing well and just continuing on in the faith and, you know, holding on to the hope, which is Jesus. He is faithful. He is our healer. And so I just want to continue to encourage you in that. You know, don't let what is going on in the news headlines scare you. God is still in control. He's on the throne and we just give him the glory and the honor today. And so I just want to go into numbers. We're going to jump right in and uh, the rest of chapter four, you know, is talking about the, the, um, what, our priests were doing, what the, the Levites and all that were doing. And so, you know, we're not really going to take much time because we talked about that a little bit in the other podcasts. And so I just want to go into uh, chapter five. It starts off with the purity of the camp and God has the Israelites sent away from the camp. Anyone who has an infectious skin disease or discharge of any kind, or who's ceremonially unclean because of a dead body you know at that time you know as we've talked and and when we were doing Leviticus you know that that you know it was associated with sin and in that time and so because God is holy and he is in the camp he had to separate those who were unclean from clean and they were sent outside of the camp because God could not dwell in the midst of, of, of that and because of him being holy, you know, and it's not saying that he hates people who are sick or anything. It's just he was setting, you know, an example in that time because Jesus had not died on the cross. And so there was still this veil. And so and I think a lot of it, too, is he was also protecting his people, those who had infectious diseases. He, it was a form of quarantine to keep the rest of, of the Israelites healthy as well. So, you know, we have to think about that. And and that, you know, and especially in the New Testament, we have to think about church mem- members who, you know, flagrantly spurn God's truth or righteousness and, you know, there's, there's a way that you handle that. And, and Jesus, you know, explained that, that you, you know, if you know of a brother or sister in Christ that is sinning or has sinned against you, you know, that you are to go to them privately and speak with them privately about the matter. But if they continue to sin, then you're supposed to take two or three, you know, other brothers or sisters in Christ to talk to them about it. But if they continue on, then you go to the church. And if they continue on, then you're supposed to let them, you know, leave them to God. And, you know, that's just how it works in, in our, you know, in, in with the church today. 
And so, you know, we have to keep doing that. And, and so that was just something that came up to my, you know, my mind and when I was reading this and then, you know, continuing on in, in chapter five in numbers, it talks about restitution for wrongs. You know, God is a God of justice and, you know, he was bringing, you know, he was making sure that people who do wrong, they have, they have to pay the penalty. And he was making sure that restitution was given as well for those that, that were harmed in that situation because God cares, you know, he cares and we don't, you know, think that God cares or we associate, you know, especially today, you know, it's hard because, you know, in the criminal system, you know, in, in our judicial system, we also have, you know, we deal with judges who are human. And so sometimes they're, they make a mistake in their rulings or justice isn't meted out because of some reason. But that's not God. God, you know, at that point, you give that to God and he, he is just and, you know, and we do pray that these people find salvation, whoever harmed us, we, we need to pray that, that they are saved, you know, we give them to God, and, and if they are saved, then great, you know, we need to rejoice in that, but if they continue to be unrepentant, you know, God is going to deal with them in his, in his timing, you know, and we just leave that to him, you know, it, you know, vengeance is not for us, then, you know, there's the test for an unfaithful wife, which a lot of, I know, feminists and stuff really clash on this, saying, you know, how dare they, you know, and it's hard, you know, but this was a way, you know, for one thing, if a husband had the reason to suspect that his wife had committed adultery, it's not in his own hands. He takes it to the priest you know, where he brought her before the Lord in order to determine her guilt or innocence. One, you know, it was a protection for the woman in a way from, from false accusation. And it provided a means for determining guilt if necessary. If she was guilty, she became ill as a result of God's judgment. If she was innocent, then nothing would happen. You know, and that is between, and then, you know, the husband had to deal with you know, presenting an offering to the Lord. And so, you know, that ended up happening. And, you know, so, you know, that's just kind of a little thing to talk about. And, you know, it's not that, you know, God is against women or anything like that. He's not, you know, God loves women. And we're going to see continuing on in, 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 especially in the Old Testament, you're going to see him use women mightily, you know, and we'll even point out women in the New Testament as well when we get into the book of Acts. And even in the Gospels, the, the women that stand out in, you know, Jesus's ministry. And so we'll point out those out as we go along. You know, this was just dealing with how to, you know, deal with innocence or guilt with, with adultery. And it was just letting the Lord handle it because... You know, we can't hide our sins from the Lord. And we talked about with Proverbs 5 that even with adultery, it's going to, it'll be exposed if we continue to, to you know, commit adultery. So, 
then we jump into chapter six and this is talking about the Nazarite and for a best you know kind of an example of a Nazarite is is Samson. Samson though did not follow <laughs> what a Nazarite was supposed to do. So it's not totally in line, but when we think of the of a of a Bible character, you know, Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite. The word Nazarite actually it's it means to set apart in, in Hebrew and it, it was one who was set apart and dedicated wholly to the Lord. Now, this dedication could be for a specific period of time or it could be for life. Uh, it was up to, to the person. And they were raised up by God himself in order that through their lifestyle, they might demonstrate the high, you know, his highest standards of holiness and sanctity and commitment in the people's presence. So they were set apart, you know, they could not, they couldn't drink wine, you know, and they had to let their hair grow on, you know, they couldn't come in contact with a dead body, kind of like a, a Levi, you know, it was kind of that way. They couldn't do that. Now, the thing about the Nazarite vow, this was totally voluntary, voluntary, and it was designed to teach Israel that total devotion to God must come first from a person's heart and then come to expression in self-denial, visible profession. And that's the same way. When we, you know, accept the Lord as our Savior and we're learning, you know, we're, we are being set apart and living a life set apart, it has, it's by our choice. The Lord doesn't just, you know, when you become His you know, his child that he, he puts these bonds on you. It's our choice to, to live set apart and it has to come from our heart. And when it comes from our heart, then it's going to come out. Those actions are going to come out. It has to start from within and that's how it is. You know, how repentance is and, and change is it starts from within and then it'll work its way out into our lives. So the Nazarite's complete devotion serves, you know, how we should, how we should be, you know, we need to serve from the heart and it's just, it has to be on our heart and then it'll just start flowing through naturally. And so as I, you know, talked about, they weren't to drink wine or any fermented drink in that time. Uh, they, they were to grow the hair lawn and it was a visible symbol of, of their consecration to the Lord. Now, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, lawn hair was normally a disgrace to a man in that time. So for a Nazarite to have lawn hair, it probably symbolized, you know, his willingness to bear reproach and ridicule, ridicule for the Lord. Um, and then the command not to go near a dead person stressed that death was never God's will when he created the human race, which is true. It was not his will. When Adam and Eve committed the first sin, it brought death. So, you know, that's why, you know, they couldn't go near a dead body. It's, it symbolizes as unclean. Then once he, um, 
they completed their vow of separation, they had to offer the same kind of sacrifices that the high priest offered on the day of their ordination when they were separated and set apart. All those in Israel, men or women, who completely dedicated themselves to God were as important God's sight as the highest minister in the congregation. So it, it just emphasizes, and you know, we talk about it with Jesus, that you know, you have to become least to become the greatest. Greatness in God's kingdom is not based on position and power, but on consecration and commitment. You know, God can still use you modelly, and he he will he can share dreams and visions even with somebody who who doesn't even have a you know a ministry certificate or license or anything god uses everybody you know he sees them you know as the same you know he doesn't show any favor you know it's just about our heart and our our decision and our choice to to live separated and and being faithful and being prayerful to him so after that, the the Nazarite may drink wine. They were permitted to drink wine. Um, that was essentially what they were allowed to do. They were they were done, and so that's essentially the daily reading for Numbers. And so we are going to take a a quick break, and we're going to jump into the Book of Mark. We are back and we're talking uh, in Mark chapter 9. And first that Jesus said, he, he says to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. And see, there, there's a huge thing that was talked about. And, and that's where like the end times really get screwed up because... A lot of people, especially it was referring to John, the Apostle John or the, the Disciple John. And the Disciple John, he he ended up becoming the Apostle John. And he is the only one that did not die a martyr's death. And he actually, you know, just died naturally of old age. And see... As John lived, you know, there was this confusion going on that because John was alive, they were waiting for Christ to come. And so then when John died, there was all this changing about the, the end times and there was such confusion. What Jesus said here is, would have seen the kingdom of God come with power so John did not actually die until he saw the kingdom come with power. He did see the kingdom come because he outlived all the other apostles by about 25 years. And after Paul's death, John became the head of the church and he lived in Ephesus and he was later arrested and taken to the island of Patmos. That was like a slave. It was a death sentence for him because they couldn't kill him. They tried pouring tar on him and he would not die. 
So they took him to the island of Patmos, thinking this would be the place where he died, and he didn't. It was while that he was there, he received a wonder, you know, he received a, a vision of the future, including the tribulation and the return of Christ. He saw all these things. So he saw the kingdom of God. And that is where we get the book of Revelation. That is where they're talking. That's referring back to Jesus, what he was talking about. So I just wanted to explain that, especially for those who are brand new believers and are going, what does he mean by that? So that is what he meant. Then we get into what is the transfiguration of Christ. And we've kind of talked about it in the book of Matthew, but I've done a little bit more research. And to, you know, talk about, you know, a little bit of it. Now, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when we get into the book of Luke, it's going to have this. And it's talking you know, it, there's this event that's called the Transfiguration, and all three mentioned that Christ's garments were white and shining during this experience. All three also reveal that Christ invited Peter, James, and John. Uh, these three were his inner center, in his inner circle, and these three actually end up becoming the head of the church when the church is established. They also reveal that Moses and Elijah appeared to Christ during that time. Luke, uh, he describes that three disciples were sleeping at first, then they awake to see Christ's glory and the two famous prophets of Israel. They also, all three, refer to Peter's desire to build three three tabernacles. And that they also record a cloud overshadowed them and that God spoke from heaven calling Christ his beloved son. Now, Luke notes the purpose of the visit was to converse with Christ about his coming death. Now, as I've explained in the book of Matthew, that as we continue on, it progresses, that there's this hostility. And as we get closer to Jesus going to the cross he's actually spending less time with the crowds and spending more time with his disciples and probably teaching them more and more so peter james and john you know were his inner circle and and all of that and so So the prophecies concerning the appearing of the Messiah, which Jesus was, they were in the law, which is known as the Torah. And in the prophets. Now, with Moses appearing, it represented the law because that's where the law came from, was through Moses, as we have been reading. And the rituals concealed you know, God's plan of redemption. That's, you know, we've talked about that several times with the rituals, how they pointed to Christ. And Elijah, we'll get to Elijah when we get into um, Kings and First Kings. He represented the prophets and he foresaw the Messiah and his kingdom. Now, Elijah 
did not die. And we've talked about that. He did not die. He was, he was taken up into heaven, which is another representation of a catching away. So we've talked about that and he is actually going to, we'll kind of get into it in a little bit, but he is actually going to be one of the two witnesses that is described uh, in, in the book of Revelation. So now this cloud that overshadowed them was the, was the glory of God. Now, and in, in today people go, oh, that never happens. It has actually happened. There are... I'm not going to say it over um, public hearing because to protect some of these evangelists because they go into places where there's heavy persecution and they could die. But several of them have seen lepers that, you know, the, a cloud came over them. And when this cloud lifted, it was the glory of God. This cloud lifted. These lepers were totally healed. Uh, one actually went into the cloud and was watching as these leopards, lepers, they, their, their limbs and all that were growing back. So the same cloud, you know, it appeared at the tabernacle of Moses that we've talked about that this glory came over and that's the cloud that they would follow when it would lift up. You know, that this cloud was the visible manifestation of God's presence. And everyone on the mountain that day heard the voice of God. And he was saying, you know, this is his beloved son. Now we see Peter. And once again, Peter, he kind of lets his mouth get in the way. And he suggests building three booths. Now, in the King James Version, it says tabernacles. And that's connected to the idea um, that the resurrection of the righteous was believed to be linked with the Feast of Tabernacles. We've kind of talked about the Feast of Tabernacles and that dealt with the, the, that was celebrated to represent when the the Jewish people were actually, uh, had traveled in the desert during that time. The Israelites, and so that's what it is. Uh, and this is a time where they would build booths using the branches from four trees and living outside their homes in the booths for seven days. Now, some believe that after P- Peter awoke and saw Moses and Elijah, that he probably believed that the re- resurrection had just occurred. Like, that is why they were going, Whoa, they were thinking that this was the resurrection because they see Elijah. And that, and they're on in this area that, oh my gosh, this is where the resurrection is supposed to happen. So they were going, wow. Now, devout Jews believed in, in, in Christ's day and those who do not, you know, have not accepted Jesus yet. Some that still believe today that Elijah's appearing would precede the coming of the Messiah prior to the Messiah establishing his kingdom. It's talking about that and it's points to the book of Malachi. And we'll talk about that. We'll actually get that when we get to the book of Malachi. This is why when we see in, in, in the, when they're the disciples asking Christ about the appearing of Elijah and who appeared that day, but 
However, they're confused because Christ did not resurrect the dead. You know, they're confused going, whoa, this is supposed to happen. But it didn't. But Christ goes back and he refers to John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And had preceded him in ministry. And now in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, it's, it's referred that the, Elijah the prophet is going to appear before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we've talked about that, that Elijah is one of the two witnesses during the tribulation in Revelation chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. It's because he hasn't. And the other one that they're thinking is, is Enoch. Now I've heard some say Moses, but it's like Moses died where Enoch and Elijah did not die. So they were actually taken by the Lord. So that's why we say that, um, it's Elijah and Enoch for some of you that, especially if you're brand new believers and you're trying to figure this whole thing out with end times, that's why we, we say that. So, we continue on and as they get down from the mountain, there's this ruckus and, you know, while they were on the mountain, the other disciples were below with the people and they were ministering to the sick. However, there's this epileptic child that is brought and they pray over him and doesn't bring results. Now, there's this word that's used in verse 15. In the King James Version, it says lunatic. And it was to describe the boy's condition. Now, the word, actually, when I was researching this, the word meant to be moonstruck. And back in the day, they believed that this these conditions were brought on by the phases of the moon. That's where we get Luna, you know, lunatic, Luna meaning moon, you know. So the, the child's father is crying out to Christ for help and receive healing for his son. And we see, you know, and I think we can get that way where, you know, we pray for healing and it doesn't happen. And we can get frustrated. And we see Christ says this kind does, you know, doesn't happen except by prayer and fasting. And so I just want to kind of talk about, because this has been like something that the Lord has been dealing with me as well, is prayer and fasting. Now, fasting, people don't understand. Fasting is now in biblical times, just like as the Nazarites, they didn't have alcohol. That's a form of fasting in a way, if you're not having an alcohol. Or fasting in a way is, generally fasting was food. You see in the book of Daniel, Daniel fasted away from meat and choice food. And there's actually a, a what's called the Daniel fast. If you Google it, you'll come ac across it. And it's a, it's a thing that happens and there have been celebrities that have tried it that especially those who end up getting saved, they actually try the Daniel fast to, to get closer. And it's a time where, yes, you're, you're hungering, you're starving yourself 
or, you know, and it's actually gone further than that. Some people fast away from social media. It's just simple as fasting away from coffee. If you're totally addicted to coffee, I've heard of that. And it's hard because you end up having to have dependency on God because, you know, if you're fasting away from food, you, you know, just like Jesus, he fasted from food and water. Now, today we don't recommend fasting away from water. Part of a fast is drinking water, but he, (laughs) you know, Jesus was, was divine. And so he fasted away from food and water. And so did Moses when he was up on the mountain getting the, the revelation and they were being fed by the Lord. They were being sustained by the Lord during those times. Now, believers today, and it's still a huge thing. And so there is a huge part of it that fasting, yes, sometimes we do have to pray and fast. And and it's all about, you know, letting the Lord guide you. And I know that there are people that, you know, and it's about being prayerful about it. And it's, when you're fasting, you know, you're fasting away and instead of, you know, it's a time, okay, instead of you're, instead of eating, you're taking that time to, to pray to the Lord and draw closer to him. And it actually brings a lot of results and breakthrough. And sometimes that is what we have to do is sometimes in our situations, we have to pray and fast. Like this whole thing with the coronavirus, I'm going to use that as an example. This is a time of prayer and fasting. And even in my life, you know, I've never really fasted. I tried when I was a believer, brand new believer, and it really wasn't working very well because I didn't understand it. And it was really hard for me. But now as I've developed as a believer, the Lord has really like worked on my heart in that area. And he has said, you know, he's starting to really push me to do it. And so it's not something, you know, that it, it it's not one of the easiest things. And it's something that you need to be prayerful about and let the Lord guide and direct you. He will speak to your heart about fasting and all the people. And I'm not an expert on it because I haven't really tried. I am going to start trying it. The Lord has spoken to my heart about it. And so I'm I'm making the plan out to do it. And, you know, I'm going to phase myself into it. And it's not going to be easy because I'm a food person and he has spoken to me because I love meat. He has spoken to me personally. He's been pointing back to the story of Daniel and fasting away from meat. And then he has kind of directed me on, on what to do. And that's a huge thing. It's allowing the Lord to direct you. He has told people to fast away from social media. He has told people to fast away from coffee. Whatever it is, he will speak to you about it. And so I'm going to try it, you know, and and I will let you know on this journey, you know, as I kind of get into it, what it's like. The I have heard people say that have fasted and I've been hearing it with some people that are fasting right now with this whole coronavirus thing that you know, it's just a wonderful time, especially as they get used and it, it's going to be hard. And that's why you draw near to the Lord during these times when you're hungry, you're pressing into him and he's going to sustain you during that time. 
And that's where a lot of people, they start seeing dreams and visions. They get, you know, what's called downloads from heaven, you know, where God's speaking to them. Things are just getting revealed in their hearts. So it's just something to pray about because that some things do require prayer and fasting. And so feel, you know, that's something that I just guide and direct you. Just be prayerful about it. And if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart in, in regards to something that you've been praying about and it's there's just no breakthrough and he's telling you to fast, do it. You know, don't second guess him and just make a plan. And a part of it is having a good plan. Um, it's not something you just jump into, you know, it's a making a plan and, and planning out, you know, like for me, I know when I do this, because it's going to, you know, I'm, I'm taking meat out. It's, I've been sitting here, you know, on some of my spare time and I'm sitting here taking a meal plan and making sure I plan things out carefully. And it's hard because it's like, oh, great. You know, this is, you're calling me to do this in a time where grocery stores, you know, there's stuff missing, but I trust the Lord can do it. And, you know, he's going to provide what we need during that time. So that is essentially, you know, and it, I, so, and I just want to also emphasize, he also, you know, where there's little faith, there's little prayer. So if you're not really praying to the Lord, there's not going to be very much faith. Where there is much prayer and intimacy, such as, and especially if you're fasting, you know, there, there could be like huge miracles. There will be huge miracles. And so that's just something I wanted to point out in, in talking, you know, and, and I also want to point out too, that Jesus said, everything is possible. And that's true. Everything is possible only through the Lord. And so that is essentially what I wanted to talk about today. And so I'm just going to end in a prayer. And oh, before we get into prayer, I just want to say for the next reading, we're going to read chapter Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through chapter 7, verse 89. That seems like a lot of reading. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. It's a lot of repetition in, in chapter seven, just so you know, that's why we're going to verse 89 because there's a lot. And then we go and we're going to continue on in Psalm 35 with verses nine through 16 and then Proverbs six, uh, verses nine through 11 and Mark chapter nine verses 33 through 50. And so I'm just going to end it a prayer. And I just want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for for who you are and that Lord, you are so amazing and Lord, help us to just draw near to you, Lord, and, and to be prayerful and mindful about being in your presence, Lord, and Lord, help us to just develop a relationship with you. I just pray that Lord, for those who don't really have a prayer life right now, Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct them, speak to their hearts on a time that they can pray, 
Lord, help them to just set aside time to be in prayer with you. I pray for all of us that have not really fasted, Lord, guide and direct us in that will or in your will in that way, Lord God. And and that, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen those who are in a fast, that, that Lord, that they would rely on you and that, Lord, that it would just be a time where your presence will just meet with them and they will hear your voice. Lord, I just pray, God, as we continue to read your word, just bring revelation into our hearts. And we just thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm-hmm.